Good morning, church. It's good to be with you guys today. As Steve said, my name is Drew, and I'm glad to get to welcome you here today as we come together as a family to worship the Lord and to hear from the Lord and to commune with both Him and with one another. Uh, if this is your first time here, or if you've maybe been here for a few weeks but, uh, but haven't yet kind of figured out how to get connected in, we have a way to do that. We have a thing in the pew in front of you called a connection card that you can grab and fill out and then drop in one of those boxes near the doors on your way out. Or if you'd rather, you can text the word CONNECT to that number on the screen, and as soon as you do that, you'll get a little form that you can fill out, and in the next day or two, someone will be reaching out to you to help you get plugged in. We would love to do that. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, here's what we get to do this morning. This morning, we as a family get to, to come into the presence of the living God uh, who dwells in this room with us as we, his people, sing his praises who speaks to us as we, his people, listen to his word, read out loud over us, and then preached and proclaimed to us, and who will get to fellowship with one another and with him as we celebrate a meal that reminds us of, of the very sacrifice that gave us our identity, that made us one body. And then we'll sing some more and we'll pray to him, asking him to be with us as we go through the week to remind us of his goodness and his presence as we do those things. It is a good day when we get to come together as a body and, and celebrate him and worship him together. What I want to do now is open up his word and read that as we begin. We're in two places, or we'll be reading from two places this morning. The first is John chapter 14. You can go there in your Bibles. It will be on the screen, or you can just listen as the words are read to you this morning. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. And on that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. And now a reading from Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. I have eagerly desired to share this text with you. Uh, I think one of the things that we have all realized over the last few months, um, and when I say the last few months, maybe the last few years, is the importance of presence. Just being around one another and having an opportunity to see one another and to be with one another. And the barriers uh, that separate us are magnified. And, and we respond emotionally to that distance and physiologically to that distance. We, we respond even relationally to that distance. And so it's important for us to realize the way that God intended things and the way that things are and the way that things are going to be. That's kind of essentially how we understand the Bible. How did God intend things? And when we open up the Bible, we see that God intended for us to be present with him and with one another. That was the, the purpose. There was a time in which there was nothing, and then God spoke everything into existence. And then he created humanity in his image. And then he dwelt in their midst. There was a, a closeness of proximity, of presence. And there was this joy of being with one another where they, just like Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. God kind of gave similar instructions to his creation, those made in his image. As you love me, you will keep my commands and, and you will have life. God's words are always spoken to his people as life. Rebellion is always spoken as separation or death. But presence is the way that God intended it. But presence isn't the way that you and I currently experience life. From God, there is a, a distance caused by our sin. Relationally, uh, we know of strains and brokenness that exist in our relationships and that separation hurts. We're trying to figure out how do we overcome these obstacles or these disagreements and how do we, how do we come together again? It might be easy to say, why can't we all just get along? Well, the answer is sin and us staying in our sin. But God's plan was that we should be together and be with him. It's not the way that things are, but it's not going to be left this way. God has a plan of redemption and restoration. And what I love is that the Bible actually begins describing the process of redemption and restoration in Genesis 3 which is where the fall happens. God doesn't wait even until Genesis 4. It's Genesis 3. God pursues his rebellious and broken creation and then promises a time in which everything is going to be restored. And what is that everything that is going to be restored? And the answer is his presence. Now, it is being worked out. And, and so the, the feelings that you have of estrangement or the feelings that you have of isolation or aloneness, they are real. But I would tell you they are not the only real thing that is happening today. And it's important for us then to allow the Word of God to, um, to experience the Word of God in a way in which it was ultimately intended which is to give us another sense of reality, a sense of reality that is probably beyond what you and I might experience or what you and I might trust. 
It, it actually gives us another way of looking at the world and at life. And, and it's this concept of, of, of presence that we see being desperately desired on the, half, on the one half of God's creation and it also on, on, the half of, on behalf of, of our creator, where God is, is constantly demonstrating, I love you, and here I am. Now, it, it, we might wish it were more, but it's still, here I am. Remember when the children were drawn out of Egypt, they were, they were liberated out of Egypt, and as they're walking in the wilderness, they desire the presence of God, and what does God say? I'll be with you. And he was with them, the presence of God was with them, fire by night and in a cloud by day, so they could look up and they were aware that the presence of God was very, very close to them. And whenever there was an enemy, the presence of God would make itself manifest or make itself known. And they could breathe easier, and they could be reminded, I, I, I don't always see him, but he's there. Think about that moment. I don't always see him, I don't always experience him in the same way, but, but he is nonetheless There. God then demonstrates his love for his people by saying, and, and now I want to dwell with you in, in, in closer proximity. He gives, it's God's plan. He gives them instructions to build for him a meeting place, a, a tabernacle, a tent, and, and put it, it's, it's by no mistake, I want you to put it, whenever we all gather together and we're going to stay here for a period of time and we erect this tent, I want all the tribes, all 12 tribes to be situated, all the people gathered around the tent, the tabernacle, the presence of God. It's not an accident. Here is God in the middle and all of his people gathered around, living and worshiping. When, when life is right, it is God at the center, us recognizing his presence and his purpose and his mission and the people of God all gathered around, fellowshipping, all gathered around, worshiping, all gathered around, living, all gathered around. The presence of God. It's human to want more. Don't you think we could get more? David said, I want a permanent place. This tent isn't, isn't worthy of you. I want a permanent place. And God said, um, it's, it's not going to be your doing, but I will allow your son to make a place. And then God makes it very, very clear where I choose to dwell. I will choose to dwell there. I will choose to make my presence known because I am God and I can't be located in a building. The Bible makes this very, very clear. I can't be located in just one place, but I will choose to make my presence very known there. I will reveal myself there and it will bring you great joy and it will bring you a great awareness of my presence and my purpose. You will become more aware. Worship makes us more aware of our sin more aware of our brokenness, more aware of his presence, and simultaneously, and this is the beauty of worship, more aware of his love. If, if we're the way that we are, and we're messed up, and God chooses to be here, m most people, when things don't go right, they choose to be elsewhere. Have you done that? I'm done with this. I don't need this. I'm choosing elsewhere. I don't want this. I choose to not be here. I choose to not be around you. That's a human way to respond. And I think that's why it's so shocking that God, knowing even better than we know, the fullness of our rebellion and the fullness of our brokenness says, no, I choose to stay. 
I'm not walking away, and I'm not abandoning you. I know the truth about you, and I choose to stay. He comes in that temple, and he makes his presence known, and it was probably Israel kind of at their best, wasn't it? God is there, and we are around, and we are responding faithfully. But it is kind of interesting to note that that that, even that, did not sustain them. And they rebelled against God. And every time in the Bible, and I want you to just see this pattern, every time in the Bible people choose to rebel, what is lost through sin is presence. And the ultimate consequence of sin is death. And and what is that? That is that that final statement, which seems so final in a human way, where I'll never see them again. I got to spend some time with, uh, with some parents that were trying to deal with the untimely death of their son. I know that if you're a parent... The death of a child is always not the right time. But this one, I think we would all agree with. Yeah, that, that was too young. And, and we sat, actually, for a couple of days, just sitting there, mostly just quiet, trying to figure out, trying to understand, no, trying to deal with the reality of someone's life that was um, no more in this world. And, and the dad just kept saying to me over and over and over again, I just, I just don't understand why. If I could just understand why, and I hear that a lot. I've thought that a lot. And I said to him, I understand what you're asking. I just, I want you to understand, though, that, that there really isn't an answer to this question. By, by God's design, I think, there's no answer to the question. I promise you that if God were to come down right now, God himself were to come down right now and say, let me explain to you why. And and gave you like the perfect explanation. It would not even be in your ability. And remember, who made us this way? God did. Who made us this way? God did. It wouldn't even be within you having the right information to go, oh, I'm so glad I know why. Thank you. I don't have any pain. I don't have any anguish. I don't have any loss. No, you still do. I know why you want an answer because you're trying to find a solution that the only real solution is the restoration of presence. Isn't it? It's the only thing that will make it better. I don't need a speech. I don't need a story. I don't even need a good song. You know, the only thing that will make this better is to see them again. To see him again. That's the only thing that will make this better. And it's good to be honest about that, isn't it? It's good to be be truthful about that reality. And what I loved to do is just to remind them that that's God's plan. If you really think about it, The plan of God in the midst of our rebellion and in the midst of our brokenness and separation and relational distance is to bring us back together. This is what Jesus does. This is what the Bible teaches, is that where there is sin, there is the acknowledgement of sin and repentance of sin and the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation. 
and relationships are brought back. And where there is death, where there is death, there is life again because Jesus Christ himself came and said what? I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What is he doing? It's, it's not, you know, it's interesting when I, when I, when I watch usually on television and I, I'm watching like a, a, a funeral in which there's no faith. They are reduced to memories. And, and by the way, memories are great. I consider them to be a gift of God. You, you remember when, when mom was here? You remember when dad was here? You remember when, when Jim was here? Weren't those good times? And, and no one can take those away from you and no one can, yeah, um, Honestly, I get what you're saying, and, and the memories are kind of helpful, but honestly, I'm wanting a little more than that, aren't you? How many of you want more than that? Who gave you that? Who gave you that, that relentless, that insistent, that uncompromising desire? I just want things to be restored. The Creator gave you that. That's Him. That's Him speaking to you. And I would even speak, I would even argue like speaking through us. And that is why, I know that it's, um, it's the beginning of August, right? Today's August 1st, which means that if you go to Walmart today, I think the Christmas decorations should be out. Um, uh, back to school, that was yesterday. I think that's July 31st is back to school day. And then August 1st is, is Christmas. Um, and I, I know that, I know that I, mean, I get people are always like, can you believe the Christmas stuff is out, right? Except for Morgan Weiss. She's like, Christmas stuff is out. But the rest of us are just kind of like, are you serious? Christmas, like it's July, Christmas. But we never feel that way in church, I hope. Because I, wanna, I want us to look at um, just this, this great Emmanuel text. And we all know, we should all know what the word Emmanuel means. It means God with us. And so this is a Christmas text today. Like this is, this is, what, this is what Matthew, um, the, the, the prophet, Matthew the disciple, this is what he writes um, as he is recording the, the promise of the Messiah coming into the world. And it's important that you understand who's coming. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just another king. It's not, although Matthew loves the David idea, but it's more than David. Before we ever get to this, this king idea, there's something that's underlying that king idea, which is the capital K king idea and not the small K king idea. God himself speaking. And so we get this beautiful section of verses. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The Lord spoke it, which means it's going to happen. The Lord spoke it, means it's going to be true. The Lord spoke it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but I was looking around outside and I didn't see it. That's okay. You don't have to see it. It's still true. I don't know if I experienced it. I don't know if I felt it in my, you know, my feeler. I don't know if I was like there with it. Okay, that's okay. You don't need to, you don't even need to. Actually, it's true anyway. It's greater than that. Thinking, wonderful. Feeling, I get it. There is something greater than that, and that is the word of the Lord. And this was going to happen because the Lord had spoken it. And here's the beautiful word. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is interesting because it's it, actually in this gospel, it's in this context that they say you're going to give him the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. But it's not just that God is saving, it's that God is saving because there's other Yeshuas, there's other Joshuas, there's even other Jesuses. 
They're just not the same one as the original Jesus, whose name means Yahweh saves, but whose identity is, in fact, Yahweh. They will give him the name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Do you know that? That God is with us. That God is with us. God is very real to us. God is very near us. Do you believe that? I would say that if we really did believe that, some things would be different. I think the way that we would respond to sin would be different. I think the way we would respond to adverse circumstances would be different. I think the way that we would deal with difficult relationships would be different if we were to just know that God was near. And yet the Bible makes it very, very clear. God has come. And, 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 and we, all, we, all, we all think about this, the, the, the presence of God. Yeah, I know, I know he's out there. But what we actually see in Matthew's gospel is not that, that God is out there. And what Jesus promises is that that there is something that is now not just present, everywhere present, but is very present to us. And here's the shocker, in us. Now, predictably, we rush to doubt the presence of Jesus in our lives. I mean, predictably, we do this. And I would say we all do this. And in order to, 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 to kind of to, to back this point up, I want to share with you, and this, many of you won't believe me, but I, I swear to you this is true. I have never used this illustration ever in all of my years of preaching. I've never used it. Does anybody know where I'm going with this? I've never used it. But how many of you know this poem? Okay. By the way, I had to research some things about it. Did not know it was written by a Canadian. <laughs> written by a Canadian. How many of you have heard this? Raise your hand. By the way, I had people second service go, I've never heard the poem, How Does It End? That's literally what they said to me. Three younger girls said to me, I, I, how, do, how does the poem end? Because I, I don't tell how the poem ends. How does the poem end? And I, I'm surprised they didn't just look at their phone. Now that I think of it, I don't know why they didn't just Google it. But I, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this poem, and, and, and we all kind of maybe know it, and actually maybe you don't know it, but it's this poem written by this person who has an opportunity to kind of get a vision of their life, and in the vision of their life, it's these footprints in the sand, and there's two sets of footprints, one of them belonging to God, and one of them belonging to them, and they're side by side and side by side, and then all of a sudden, the person in this vision, in this dream, begins to realize that there are moments as they're They're looking at this happening in front of them. There are moments in their life where there's just one set of footprints. And they reflect on that. They think about it. And then they speak to God about it, right? You guys know this. For those of you that know the poem, you know where this is going. I want you to just think for a moment. I had to go back and I wanted to get the words exact. This is how the poem goes. And I want you to think about this. Here is the assessment of this person. Lord... You said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. Here is their conclusion. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. How? 
Would that be their conclusion? I never even really kind of double thought about this until this week. The Lord has promised to be with us. The Lord has promised to stay with us. The Lord has promised. And my word is trustworthy and true. And and this person looks back on their life and their most obvious and only conclusion is what? In light of the fact, and I'll just speak for myself, okay? Because I get this. I totally understand. I would say this. Me... Knowing my faithlessness, knowing my propensity for uh, saying I'm going to do something and not doing it, knowing my brokenness, knowing my ability to even deceive myself, all of those things being, being true, I look back on my footprints in the sand and I look at those and I assume that the, the footprints that are there are mine. How broken are we? That we would somehow doubt the faithful, always faithful words of God before we would ever doubt, maybe I didn't see that right. Maybe I didn't know that right. No, predictably, as humans, we have this amazing ability to just, this is what I saw, this is what I felt, this is what I thought, this is what I, and I, I talked to my friends and they all agreed with me, and God, it's you. And what I do think the writer gets, I mean, again, I I don't think this is like a a bad thing to write. It's actually, I just never felt it as so indicting as it was this past week on me. Wow, like I would stand in front of God and go, you failed me before I would ever admit. I don't see things the right way. I love the fact that how the poem ends is God's very patient very kind reminder. I never left you. No, I don't. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't matter what you thought. Doesn't matter what all of you thought. In reality, what the Bible says, whether we want to deal with that reality or not, is that God cannot, that God will not ever leave. Or forsake us. And you wonder why we're filled with anxiety. I wonder why I'm filled with fear. Or with anger. And you want to know why? It's because I'm looking at the footprints. And I'm wondering where he is. And I need to be reminded. He is never the one who left. And therefore, you and I now have an opportunity to begin to say, okay, so if, if, if he didn't leave, which we believe to be true, then where is, in fact, the presence of Jesus? And the presence of Jesus, okay, the manual, God with us, is something that he promises, is something that the Bible promises. Therefore, where can we find the presence of Jesus as something we experience? And I want to give you what the scriptures actually teach so that you, this week, when you have your footprint moment, and you're honest about what is going through your mind and in your heart and why it's racing and why it's judging and why it's struggling, that you can then stop and realize there is a greater reality, a greater truth that comes to us because the prophets have spoken. God himself has spoken and these things are more true. 
And the first one is this, that we experience Jesus. Are you ready for this one? This one surprised me as I thought about it. We experience the presence of Jesus in our lives by faith. I came across this because I had to reread a book this, this week called Practicing the Presence of God. It was written a long, 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 long time ago by a priest that whenever he would think about the presence of God would always just think about like momentary moments when he would actually be in worship or he would actually be doing something what he would call spiritual. And he said, no, I should be practicing the presence of God in every moment. And so whether he was in in the chapel and praying and singing to God or reading the scriptures, he said, I also need to be experiencing the very real presence of God as I'm walking in a field or doing the dishes, as I'm eating a meal or just conversing with my friends in the monastery. I need to be aware of the presence of God. And then he said something that I just, any other time I probably would have just skipped it over. I didn't even have it underlined in my book, but it basically said, and when I don't feel him there, When I don't sense him there, I believe that he is there and present with me by faith. And I thought to myself, huh, there's a different way of thinking. By faith. I believe he's there. Yeah, but I don't feel him. I know. Is that not awesome? We have to just trust he's still there. And you might think that's a lesser way of knowing, right? That's what we all, if we're all honest as people who live in 2021, By faith is a lesser way of knowing, but not in the Bible. Abraham believed that God was there by faith. His presence was very there by faith. The disciples are in a boat, and there's a storm, and they begin to lose their minds, which is what people do. The answer is he was right there, and their first thought was, freak out! No, his presence his presence. They, they, they had to literally believe in that moment that the one in the boat was the one to be more concerned about than the storm raging around by faith. Maybe that's why as, as Christians today, we really do struggle in the midst of our difficulties and our hardships and our difficult questions and our difficult circumstances. The reason why we so freak out spiritually, emotionally, relationally, is because we don't know how to operate believing in the presence of Jesus. We only know how to operate if we're really feeling it, if we're really, really sensing it. When I talk with people about this struggle, about knowing the presence of Jesus in their lives, they begin to look inside of themselves. Which, by the way, is not a bad place to look. I'll end with a great one that has to do with the inside of ourselves. But you do realize that by faith is one of the greatest ways of knowing truths about God. In fact, nobody can really be honored by God except that we believe he exists. And so if you ask me why I know that Jesus is with me, one of the answers is, is because I have faith in him. The second thing that the Bible actually teaches us is that we experience the presence of Jesus, the very real presence of Jesus, through other people. And by the way, you might go, well, that doesn't count. I didn't know you were the one making the rules. Like, what do you mean that doesn't count? No, no, listen, I'm not saying even everybody. But the Bible makes it very, very clear that if I, I stumble across somebody who has a need and I help take care of that need, they need water, they need clothing, they need food. Jesus actually says, interestingly enough, that you do that to me, which means I'm doing it for someone else and Jesus is there and I am here. There is this presence that exists. 
that when we gather around the Lord's table, one of the reasons why we got to be very, very careful is because the presence of God is in us. The Bible actually says that we should not forsake gathering together and being together and worshiping together. Why? Because what we are really doing, we are actually doing against Jesus. That's why it's so important that we value and appreciate and are also strengthened and encouraged by the presence of others. That's why the Bible loves to say things like encourage one another, which means instill courage in one another. Maybe it's why you and I need to spend less time going, wow, you're beautiful, wow, you're special, wow, you're smart, wow, you're cute, right? How many of you have been told that on Facebook? Oh, wow, no, none of you, okay. Um, You might want to, actually, I'm not going to recommend you look at Facebook, but, but think about it. Isn't it interesting that the majority of our statements are really kind of about ourselves and how it really isn't like getting through? We've probably never been more commented on and appreciated in that way and it's just it's falling on deaf ears in a sense isn't it and the encouragement that we need to give is not that you're awesome but that Jesus is in you Jesus is with you Uh, we need to start offering more of those kinds of comments Jesus is with you Jesus cares about you Jesus isn't going to abandon you that's where I can find my strength another one that the Bible makes very very clear is that Jesus is with us in his word I hear it all the time. Man, you guys are so about the Bible. Yeah. We really are about the Bible. We are about the words of Jesus. Like seriously about the words of Jesus. I can't think of better words I could give you than the words of Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, whoever follows my instructions and builds his life on my instructions is like one who builds his house on a rock. Okay, so where do we build our lives upon? We build our lives on who? And the answer is Jesus. True. How? How do I build my life on Jesus? The answer is by what? On his word. His words are life. His words are hope. His words are reliable. His words are true. And so we find in the words of Jesus the presence of Jesus himself. I have a good friend who struggles with a lot of things. And the one thing I keep asking, and I don't believe in magic, but I do believe in Jesus. And I do believe in the spirit. And I do believe in the power of his word. And I ask this question, how often in those moments when you're really, really struggling, do you go to the words of Jesus? And this person who was very, very honest with me said, hardly ever. I said, I, 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 I understand. I'm just going to keep saying. And I don't believe in quick fixes. But I do believe in the power of the words of Jesus. In his words, the presence of Jesus is very, very real. And then lastly, what we read in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. Jesus actually says, I'm going to give you my spirit and I will be with you forever. And I I know, and hear me, I, I believe in the full experience. I believe in knowing and feeling and thinking and relating. I believe in all of it. But sometimes we get reduced into just, well, I'm not feeling it, or I'm not sensing it, or I'm not thinking it. And I'm kind of going, it's more than that. It's not just my feelings, and it's not just my thoughts, and it's not just my relationships. It's over all of those things. The power of the indwelling of the Spirit is something that Jesus promised. You ask me how I know it's true? Here's how I know it's true. Because Jesus has never lied to me. That's how I know it's true. 
Have you experienced it? Yes, I have experienced it. I'm experiencing it right now. The power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me because Jesus Christ has promised and I know I have it. Do you know that, brothers and sisters? Do you? Thank you. One of you know that. No, actually, a number of you know that, but he, Curtis loves to say amen. But can I just ask you this real question? Do you, do, you, do, you, do many of the times just feel like you don't feel it? I think if we're honest, we'd say, yeah. Most of my life, most of my time, I'm just kind of going through. I would say I, 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 I get it, but that is not the way that Jesus intended it. And I love the fact that Jesus never really says, and, and here's how you'll know it. He just says it is. He never says, here's how you'll know it. He just says it is. And I know the presence of Jesus in many ways. I, I want to conclude, though, with two specific things I want to take with you, or I want you to take with you that I'm, 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 I'm trying to kind of practice the presence of Jesus. They come from two Emmanuel statements, Jesus being with us, that are actually found in, um, uh, in Matthew's gospel. The first one is actually found in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, you guys probably know this verse. It's probably the, 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 the least, uh, it, it's used not in the way that it's intended to be used. It's the most misused scripture in the Bible, which promises the presence of Jesus. But here's what I want you to realize. Jesus promises his presence during some very specific times. Some very specific times, Jesus offers his presence. And this one, it's, I think one of the reasons why I get so bothered by the misuse of this is because we don't use it when we should use it. We're so used to using that for a purpose other than what it was designed for that we don't know when that we should actually use it. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking about how to rescue someone from sin, from a sinful lifestyle, how to rescue someone from a bent and a desire to stay in sin. And Jesus gives this as his conclusion. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter, that any matter is someone who has decided they're going to stay in sin. That's what any matter is. Okay, read it in its context. The any matter is somebody looks at me. I've had people say this to me. I've had good friends say this to me. I want my sin, not Jesus. And I have to, the next words are mine. I don't want Jesus. I don't want what he wants. I want what I want. Jesus says, if any of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, warning a brother or a sister about the sin and the separation and the impending death from this line of thinking and living and being, Jesus says, I am there among them. I am there among them. Huh. Jesus never promises that he'll be at the time when I go to my kid's baseball game, but I think he's there. He, he never promises that I'll, he'll be there when I go to my, my, my daughter's dance recital, but he'll be there. He, he promises me, I, I get it, he'll be there, but it's at this moment that he promises his very real presence. And I'm telling you, I, I think this is a lesson that the church needs to hear. I think that if we actually believed in the presence of Jesus, we would have a stronger sense of sin. And we would speak about it. And we would speak out about it. I also think that it is the presence of Jesus that would actually teach us to speak about it with humility and not arrogance. I think it's the presence of Jesus that would actually cause us to speak about it like the Bible teaches, gently. Paul says, gently restoring a brother. It's when we, we want to speak about it in arrogance. 
So we forget that Jesus is present. When Jesus is present, you speak about it with tears, trying to win a, a sister or a brother back. And the presence of Jesus is so critical for navigating sin in our lives and in our community. And I love this. Jesus actually says in John 14, Drew read it, if you love me, you'll keep my commands and I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another counselor who will be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth and the world cannot receive this because it doesn't see him or know him. And I hear a lot of Christians use that exact same language. I don't see him or know him. That should not be. But you do know him because he remains in you and he will be in you and I believe he is. And then lastly, Jesus promises his presence with us always. He says, to the very end of the age, this is found at the very end of the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be with you to the very, very end. In the difficult circumstances, I'm going to be there. In the greatest joys, I'm going to be there. As you live missionally, I think we often forget that as well. Like Jesus just said, I'm going to be with you and I'm there to be your cheerleader. Hear me, no, he's there to empower us to accomplish his mission, which can be as simple as raising children. Did I just say simple and raising children in the same sentence? <laughs> as simple as raising children, or as complicated as going to work in the morning. I'll be with you. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Are you just tired because you're managing all of your relationships by your own strength? He is with you. Are you giving up on relationships? Are you giving up? Even I hear this a lot. I'm giving up on the church. One, one, one person I know that's not giving up on the church is Jesus. I hear a lot of Christian people saying that. I don't know how a Christian person could actually say that. I, I get it. It just it, 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 it sounds... It just doesn't sound biblical, but I get the pain. Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'm going nowhere. No matter how you're going to interpret this one set of footprints, I'm telling you, they're mine. And I got you. And do you feel the got you of God? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's not some principle. Christ lives in me. Colossians 1, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, the amazing mystery of God. Are you ready? Here's the mystery of God. Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you. How many of you need that this morning? How many of you know you have that this morning? I want to conclude not with communion. We'll do that during our worship time. But by praying that you would know the presence of Christ. That you would experience fully, fully the presence of Christ. This isn't a head game. This isn't a heart game. This is a whole body truth. Experience fully the presence of Christ. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for the reality of you, the truth and the promise of you. And God, I pray that we would bring all of ourselves completely to you. I, I get the poem, and I confess I, I can be arrogant like that. I, I can be the one to accuse you why you left me, even knowing that you promised me you'd never leave me. Oh, what a disconnected head and heart I can have when pain and disappointment, when um, success and joy cloud my vision. And so, Father, I pray for me, for us, for your body, that we would know the reality of Christ in us, that we would know the truth of your word and that we would know the reality of your existence in one another as we dwell together as the people of God. I guess that's why we are called family and a body and a bride. And Father, I pray that we would know your spirit, that we would see it, experience it fully, that we could even understand, like, Father, how it is refining our own thoughts and our own character. God, may we believe that this workmanship was your plan from the beginning. And then may we leave this place today empowered and strengthened. God, may we know the very specific times in which your presence is there. May we always be strong knowing that you are there. And that God truly, may that bring you glory. May it benefit those around us, your presence in us. And may it truly be our greatest joy. And the church said, now let's stand and sing praise to this great God. <laughs>